We are in Acts 18 today. Paul, we all have an idea of Paul. I think he's short for some reason, but that's neither here nor... Do you think so too? But, but we get this idea of Paul, right? It's like Jesus, and we all got the idea from, you know, David Cook. He has the white thing with the blue thing, right? That's what Jesus looks like. Um, but Paul, we're going to take a look at his mental status today. Because we see these, these great apostles, these men of God, these saints of old, and we, we just think that, man, they are just powerful men and just carry on and just, you know, wow, never be like that. But we're going to see a side of Paul today that makes him very, very human. Um, it says that in verse 18, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Cor- Corinth. After what? After last week, when we found out that he was in Athens, this godless, idolatry, pagan-filled city, um, with all the intellectuals and all this, you know, way too much knowledge and no real understanding of anything that's going on. And he pours his heart out there. He, he, he speaks to them with a, with a beautiful, logical, breaks open the truth to them, and he moves away from there with really not even planning a church. A church gets there later, but at this point, it's not planted. So he moves on from Corinth, from Athens, and he goes to the city of Corinth, which is, if you look on your maps in the back, it's just like right over there. They're really close to each other. So you have Athens and about 53 miles, walking miles. You go over and you get to Corinth, which is a major city in the Roman Empire. It's a crossroads of trade and travel. It has two harbors, and if your map is big enough, you can actually see that it's got two areas where water can come at it. Because of that, there's a lot of trade and commerce and people coming and going. It would have been the perfect place to plant a strong church and touch the lives of Europe as it would just go out. But unfortunately, at this time, that didn't happen. So Paul is, you know, here he comes, run out of Athens, pretty much. He was run out of town, and he ends up in Corinth. Corinth may have a lot of, you know, geographic things, financial things going to it, but it was a, a hellhole for immorality. It had a reputation for loose living, especially sexual immorality. Now, the Epicureans from Athens, which isn't that far away, they believed in the pursuit of pleasure, especially sensual pleasure. If it feels good, do it. That was their motto, kind of. In Corinth, the word Corinthian back in this day was synonymous for the most perverted behavior. Okay? Do you remember a couple of years ago when the postal system was having a lot of problems and people were freaking out and everything, and we had this little phrase that says, oh, they're going postal, right? Corinthian was like, oh, you're, this is a perverted, horrible behavior that's going on. This is Corinthian. So the city got a reputation for this perversion. And here's Paul in the city. Sexual immorality all around it. It was permitted because of the worship of um, um, Aphrodite, which is also known as Venus, the god of fertility and sexuality. So these people were 
deep in the throes of just sexual perversion. Let's just put it there. I don't even think that we would, you know, yeah, know that. It, it, it's bad. It's bad. Okay? It's bad. Paul's kind of a little, maybe, I don't know, okay, maybe coming in there after being run out of town at Athens. But he arrives, and he's here all alone. And he gets there in this God-forsaken place. And I, you know what? It just has got to take a toll. It would me, wouldn't it? You're not really all up anyways. And then everywhere you look, it's just horrid. I'll tell you, I have to get continuing educations for my practice which means I have to go and get, go to a little workshop and everything like that. And I thought, okay, here's a, here's a seminar I can go to with several of them. Maybe I'll, I'll spend the money and go there and get a bunch of them done. I looked at what they had to offer, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it in my profession. You know, It was a whole God-forsaken, what it's becoming, not all of it. I don't want to paint too bit, but it was like, when, but when I got done looking at that, what social work was back 20 years ago when I went to school, or 25 years ago when I went to school, is not what it is now. And it was depressing to me. I don't have to learn about these things. Because I'm not going to use these things, you know. Um, over the top with racial stuff. Over the top with, you know, you know, transgenderism. Over the top with all this stuff. The breakup of the, of the family dynamic. You know, when I went to school, these we had this moral code that we kind of stood by. Anyways, my point is this. When we're, when we're inundated with godless stuff, it wears us down. And if we don't have a fellowship, if we don't have people, friends, or somebody there with us to help us with it, that's why we don't forsake assembling together, because we need to build each other up. Well, here's Paul all alone in this godforsaken place, worse than that, walking around the streets of Corinth, Okay? How bad was it? Well, we know that he wrote his letter, um, his Romans letter from Corinth. So how does, the, how does Romans 1 start out? Mm. Romans 1 is when he wrote, he wrote it when he was in Corinth, and it's pretty sad Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it known to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal powers and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and mammals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship what... And served the creature rather. He gave them up. Okay? This is Corinth. This is where he wrote those words in this setting here. They suppressed the truth 
to pursue the desires and the lusts of the senses. How discouraging do you think that would be to him? Okay, so this kind of sets us after this. After this, here's Paul in Corinth. Let's go, keep going. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a native, uh, a native of Pont- Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Okay, look what it's saying. He gets to town, and he has to work. He has no funds. His money's run out. He doesn't want to have to work. He wants to get full-time ministry, but he gets there. First thing he's got to do is find a job. So he hooks up with people that make, oh, you, make, you know how to make tent? Well, go down to, you know, good old Quilla down the street. He knows how. He just got here from town because they got run out of t- Rome. They got chased out of town and had to uproot, and they're there, and he's trying to put together a business making tents. Maybe you can get some help from him. So he goes and he hangs out with them. Things are looking pretty slim. He needed to support himself. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians 11.9. Paul makes a reference to this. He says, and when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. He's saying right there, he was in need, but he didn't ask them for any money. He worked. He worked until, until you know, they show up from Macedonia, Silas and Timothy, with, with some funding. So he gets there, and he's got to work, okay? He's living with Aquila and Priscilla. You know, whether or not they were believers in the new faith at this time or not, we don't know. It's not stated, but it could possibly be that Paul witnessed to them why they were working together, and they became believers while Paul was there. We're not sure, but we know that they become believers, okay? And we also know that they kind of, I don't know, if I got run out of town and had to uproot and move too, I'd be kind of down in the dumps too. So morale is kind of low all the way around here with our little group of believers here in Corinth. We have to remember that God's promise is that he will be with us. If he's going to send us out on a job, he's going to equip us. Okay? We've got to remember that, that his spirit is with us. So, here's Paul. And in verse 4 and in verse 5, we find him hard at work. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. He was busy teaching the word of God, occupied with the word, devoting himself completely to the word, engaging with these people. Um, 1 Corinthians 2 116 tells us about a little bit about what his preaching was like. And Paul writes at this time, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And he goes on to say he didn't have elaborate words or anything, but it was a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God that did all the work. But he's admitting his human frailty and his weakness at this point. He's depressed. He's scared. What's going to happen? Where is God? Here he is. You know, who knows what's going through his head, but when he writes words like that, we can know that he was afraid, he was weak, and he was trembling when he came to see them. But he still preaches. He still gets out the word. Well, we know so far in our study that whenever the word of God is preached, what is right on the t- right right on the right follow him around opposition constantly hounding him. He doesn't even get a break from that. And are they here? They're here. Verse 6, what does it say? And when they opposed and reviled him, they mocked him, he shook off his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. This was huge for Paul. The Jews were Paul's people. He wanted nothing more than the Jews to know the truth and the word of God. They were the chosen people. They had the Pentateuch. They had the law. They, they are acknowledged as a, a blessing that God will bless other nations through us. This is what Abraham's telling us, okay? And, and he just wants, why can't it click with you guys? What's going on? The more I persuade you, the more I use, what it, maybe it'll break through, whatever. And they finally got to the point at this time where he's had enough. He has had enough with these Jews. I'm going to the Gentiles. Think he's depressed? Yeah. Think he's frustrated? Yes. This was a difficult decision for Paul because he loved these. He believed, preached to the Jew first and then the Gentile. He had to lay that aside now. But maybe he also remembered what Jesus taught them in Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs least they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You can only try so hard to tell people the truth. You can't persuade them. We hold up the truth, but it's God's spirit that brings people into the truth. Okay? That part really isn't our work. We just hold up the truth. We just do our part with joy and contentment. But we can see here by Paul's response... Yeah, I know there's no grammar in the original, but the ESV here has put an exclamation point after that saying, you know, I'm going to the Gentiles, you know, I've had enough, but the blood is on your own heads. He's discouraged. He's had enough. Okay, what happens next? What does our wonderful God do next? Does he leave them there? No. This goes so much with what Sharon was talking about today, this morning. We have, in verse 7, that God is going to start encouraging Paul. He's already encouraged a little bit because Silas and Timothy have showed up. They've arrived from Macedonia, and they have brought some financial support. Okay, we just read about that um, in 2 Corinthians 11. We talked about that. They arrived with some financial support. We also know from 1 Thessalonians, another letter that Paul had written um, that word from the church in Thessalonica that they were remaining steadfast. First Thessalonians 6 
3, 6 to 10. He writes, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, and we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. In the midst of his affliction, He's comforted by the fact to know that the church in Thessalonica is being strong and steadfast. So, God is encouraging Paul with bringing this news, bringing financial support from the Christians in Philippi. Um, So he he didn't have to take that second job anymore. He could give that up. It freed him up. He leaves the synagogue and he goes next door, apparently. In verse 7, he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. He found some believers. And it goes on in verse 8 to say that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, who had to be Jewish to be the ruler, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. There's more encouragement there. Not all the Jews are against. There are some Jewish converts. The ruler of the synagogue became a ruler, a believer. His, him and his whole household. Many who heard Paul believed and were baptized. God is starting to encourage Paul with these things that are happening, okay? He's seen some fruit for his labor. Who was Crispus? Who was he? Well, if we go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 14, we find out that he is one of two people that Paul actually baptized. So he baptized him. And many other believers were there. If we go to 1 Corinthians also back again in chapter 1, verse 26, Paul is describing what kind of believers are there in Corinth. He says to them, Your calling, brothers, may not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. This is very comforting to us, I think. They weren't very wise according to ordinary standards. Um, They weren't very powerful. They weren't of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish to the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. This was a church that was just ordinary people. Just ordinary, and there were many of them there. So Paul is reaping some of the fruit of of his work there. God is blessing that. And then God does something even more terrific in verse 9. He talks to him in a vision. How does God talk to us now? When we're discouraged, this is where we need to go. He's speaking to us. This is written to us. So in a vision, God tells Paul a couple of things. First thing he tells him is, do not be afraid. Oh, don't we hear that? Do not be afraid. It's in there a lot of times. It's a commandment. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. 
Three things are in there that he's telling them. Don't be afraid, which tells us that he was afraid because God's not going to waste words here. That's another validation that Paul was afraid, okay? Don't be afraid. Um, don't be fearful. And we get afraid and fearful. We get depressed too. We get just, it just is a heaviness in us, okay? God also tells Paul to keep on preaching. So the solution to Paul's fear was to obey God. Keep doing it. Don't be afraid. That's a commandment. Obey God. Okay, I'll have that. okay I'm not going to, I'm going to trust God. He told me I got, I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to keep Keep on, keeping on, and doing what he's asked me to do, okay? And he also um, didn't say that he was going to hold back the opponents and everything, and that they're going to leave you alone. He didn't say that, but he did say they're not going to be successful in hurting you, okay? They, we may be crushed, but not broken. What does it say in, you know, he also writes about that. Anyways, didn't have time to look it up. We are always on the verge of, (laughs) we'll be okay, all right? Finally, the most important thing God tells him is, well, it's all important, but the, the big encompassing thing is, I am with you. God tells him, I am with you, Paul. I'm with you. What on earth is it? That is a promise. I am with you. Spurgeon says this, it's, a, it's encompassing the presence of Jesus, the sympathy of Jesus, and the cooperation of Jesus. When he's with us, there's a teammanship. There's a partnership involved. There's a, he's going before us. He's planning it out. He's just, he's giving us songs and morning openings and different things to talk. He's doing it with us, okay? He's, he's understanding. He's sympathetic with us. Our strength comes from really, truly owning that. That he is with us. Not only that, he's in us. Well, Paul actually learned and listened from a lot of this stuff because if we go to 2 Corinthians, his second letter to them, that is just packed with comfort, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The message got out. He was comforted. He was comforted. Despite all the afflictions that were going on, he was comforted. The God of all comforts comforts our depression. Same letter, a couple pages over in chapter 7, 6 to 7. Paul also writes, But God, who comforts the downcast. There it is. God who comforts the depressed. God comforts us. He didn't expect us to be all honky-dory, hyper on Prozac all the time. We get sad. We get discouraged. It's a part of who we are. That's when God, and that's when we can know a side of God that we wouldn't know if we didn't ever get into these dark holes. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. 
And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he, has, he was comforted by you, as he told us about your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. We need each other. We comfort each other. God uses us, the church, to comfort. Okay, the God of all comforts. And then I just, there was another one I just couldn't just not let go of who this wonderful God is, Isaiah 40. 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, what a beautiful passage that is. And then he also let Paul know that there are many, many, many that God has called in that area. In this corrupt hellhole, God had his people. He hadn't found them yet. Paul hadn't found them yet. But they were there, and God was letting him know they were there. So what does he do? He stays out there a year and a half. This is the longest place Paul has stayed thus far. Week here, week there, day there, run out of town, whatever. He gets to stay here a year and a half. God reminds him of the promises that he will be with him. And who, who is this God? We'll look at that in a minute. All right. He's there a year and a half. And, you know, the opposition doesn't let up. They're not going to, you know, foil his plan, God's plan. But, um, again, many attempts to stop Paul. Verse 12, but when Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews made a, listen to this, a united attack on Paul. Rally the troops, all you Jews that don't believe in this Jesus, we're all going to get together and we're all going to come full force against Paul. So they do. They're, they're upset, they're frustrated. And they are enraged that these people are leaving the traditional, you know, all the rules of law to to go after this Jesus, okay? And so they bring him before the proconsul and complain about him. He's persuading people to worship God. Well, that's working. He wanted to persuade them to worship God. But here's God's hand also. But God... But when Galileo was proconsul, wait, but 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, he pretty much dismisses the case. Paul was about, he didn't even have to say anything. And God stood in the gap. Had this proconsul convicted Paul of wrongdoing, that would have set a precedent for the rest of the area that the word, of, the word would not go out. And God nipped it in the bud. We're not doing that here. I'm in charge. We're going out, witness to the world with the word of God, the gospel, and the good news. And your little law, your little lockdown, your little whatever, so I'm sorry, sometimes I get, <laughs> is not going to stop it, is it? So, the crowd obviously does not like this, right? In 17, 
They seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Okay? Spoiled children. Well, we're just going to go beat up this guy now. um, Crispus was the ruler, and when he became a believer in Jesus Christ, obviously they had to kick him out of there. So Sosthenes was replaced by him at this time. But you know what the cool thing is about Sosthenes? If we go to 1 Corinthians, who wrote Corinthians with Paul? Verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, he co-wrote 1 Corinthians. Okay? Don't you love God? He's just so cool. All right. I have a few minutes here. And when, this, when I was studying this, and this phrase jumped out at me, it just like stuck there, stuck there. And I gave myself time to cover this. But I want to go back and revisit verse 15, what Galileo says. Galileo says, But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. He kind of minimizes this like it's no big deal. It's just about trivial words and and these people, and we don't care. Just whatever. You're bickering about, you know, just words. Just go away. But you know what? That is what it's about. That is what it's about. Truths and lies. And that's what we're battling with now, truth and lies. Remember last week in chapter 17, verse 30, Paul wrote, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. If we don't know, then okay, you know. But once we know, and how do we know? By words, by knowledge. They won't know unless they hear the word of God, and they, they believe by hearing the word of God. So it is... The important, the mat, it does matter, words and names. It does matter. And we just looked at Romans 1, and what was the problem with them in Romans 1? They knew the truth, but they suppressed it. The times of ignorance are over. That ties in with that. You can't suppress it anymore. You can't claim, I don't know, when you see a newborn baby born, or you see somebody heal, or you see a sunrise, or just... Or, or the songs in the opening lineup. You just can't ignore it anymore, can you? So words and matter. So I want to spend a time here. The war that we are in now that we've always fought is, is, is truth and lies. They call it information warfare. What people are saying, is it truthful or is it lies? Now, I'm not going to go in and tell you either way. I just want to make a point that it matters what we put into our head. If you look at just our, our, the way we, what we do with cognitive behavior, what we think about is strongly connected to what we feel is strongly connected to how we're going to behave. So if you take Paul, and if he was thinking thoughts, for example, of, well, before I get to Paul, let me keep going with this one. So it starts with our thinking, the things that we think. And we can, there's not a whole lot we can control in this world, but we can control how we think, 
okay? The battle is in the brain. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so is he. King James Version It's the perfect one for this. As he thinks, so he is. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, every, take every thought captive to God. Lasso, take it captive, lasso that thought and bring it back and look at it with, in, the, in the light of God's truth. Should I even be thinking about this? Should I go there and think about this? No, throw it out. Ephesians 2, no, I'm sorry, Romans 12, 2. Do not be what? Conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. There you go, girls. You know what this is. And then Ephesians 4, 22. Put off the old, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old thought. Put on the new thought, the holy thought, the good thought, the thought that comes from the word of God. So, yeah, words do matter. What we play out in our head, how we talk about it, you know, what the dialogue that's up there, the dialogue we have with each other, words do matter. So going back to Paul, he's there all alone. He may be thinking stuff like, man, am I ineffective? This is getting really old. Maybe, God, I wasn't really called. This is so useless. I'm, you know, I'm just tempted to give up. But after God comforted him and encouraged him, his thoughts changed. Therefore, his mood changed. Therefore, his behavior changed. It starts here. It starts here. When we're raising children, we can, when they're little enough, we can make them do the right behavior. But if their heart isn't in it, we're spinning wheels, aren't we? You got to get to a kid's heart and so, so their own behavior. With a horse, I can't make that horse do anything. That horse got to want to do, <laughs> cooperate with me to go and do what, what we, to be a team, okay? All right, so words matter. Names matter. Gallio says, it's just about questions about words and names. Well, let's look at names for a minute here. Names have power, don't they? Names have power. Naming something gives us power over it. When God was creating, he said, let there be light. And it was created. Adam was given the wonderful job of naming the animals that gave him a dominance and a nurturing care over them. Okay? Parents... We name our kids, right? There's a lot of power in that. We name our pets. Names give meanings to things. It helps us have an understanding. Names can give us meaning and an understanding, which gives us a direction. If we have symptoms of illness and we don't know what it is, once we get an accurate diagnosis and that they say this is what it is we know what to do right we can understand it some of our anxiety levels go down 
I am terrible on plants. Joyce isn't here today. She would vouch. She's given me so many plants that I've killed. She quit giving them to me. Because <laughs> she's a, she's a one gardener. A What's it called? She's one of those. Yeah. What is it? Master. Yeah, she did that class, whatever. So, um, so now when I get a plant, I really study the little ticket thing that's in it. Somebody gave me a <laughs> Christmas cactus. I always admired, and I've heard, I've heard Louise and them talking about these Christmas cactuses and Easter cactuses. I thought, what? wow, that'd be cool. And so when I got one, I'm like, oh, I just, I want to keep this up. So I am just like putting in the right thing and not watering it, but spritzing it and just, you know, whatever. Because I know what it is. It's a Christmas cactus. Therefore, I know how to deal with it, okay? I named it. It's got a name. This is what it is, okay? When we have a fear, when we can identify what that fear is, what that feeling is, because remember, it's connected to a thought, we can gain control over it. It loses its grip on us, all right? Did you know that in Revelation 2, 17, after this is all said and done, going off into eternity, that Jesus is going to give every one of his children a new name that's written on a white rock, and only we're going to know about that? How cool is that? And no one else is going to know. It's just, so it's a special relationship we're going to have with him with this new name. Wow. So let's look at that name of Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's packed. That is packed with meaning. Philippians 2, 9-11. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's in the name. And then back to Revelation 19, 16, when he comes riding in on that white steed, that beautiful mount, written on his thighs, the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what we have to remember, that we are a child of the king. He has called us by name. We belong to him. And in the name of Jesus, there's power. There's power. No need to fear. No need to be depressed. I mean, yeah, life's up and down, but we don't stay there long. We get into the word. We understand that he's got us in the palm of his hand. And if he's called us to do something, he will equip us to do it.